0: Everyone, welcome to Film Is Lit, the podcast that Danny usually introduces because I suck at the introductions.
1: Oh, stop! <laughs> You're doing great so far. Keep going.
0: The podcast where we review, you got this. Compare and contrast a piece of literature to its film or television adaptation.
1: Proud of you. Yes. I'm Slam Laura. Done. I'm the lit expert, and I'm Danny. I'm the film expert.
0: And today we're going to be covering Where Did you, you Go, go Bernadette? Bernadette?
1: A better title would be We Know Exactly Where You Are, Bernadette. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs>
0: the, yeah, the whole time. <laughs> the
1: director, Richard Linklater made the deliberate choice to show in the opening scene where Bernadette goes, or will eventually go, and mm-hmm. try as a kind of statement saying it's not about the destination, it's about the journey for this character. But as we'll explain later. <laughs>
0: yeah. even the journey isn't worth it
1: well you you needed some kind of mystery some kind of journey and the reveal right up front is like okay you kind of took away the one thing that maybe would make this movie good but yeah we're getting ahead of ourselves as at least i've been known to do with this podcast so let's get right into the journeys with the book and movie where'd you go bernadette laura the book (laughs)
0: I don't have a long journey with the book, but the first time I came across this was in SkyMall magazine.
1: Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> some
0: of the greatest literature <laughs> known to humankind.
1: Yeah, I still have my shower radio, which is also a mirror <laughs> and a place to hold my toothbrush. Got it on SkyMall. It only cost me $240,000. A per little ex- month yeah, 30 months. A little expensive, SkyMall, but some of their stuff is good.
0: Anyway... Yeah, so I was on a plane. This book showed up on a list of New York Times bestsellers. Mm -hmm. And I read the blurb. It sounded interesting. So I got the book a little while later. And I remember really liking it. It's by Maria Semple. Came out in 2012. And it has everything going for it for me. It has a setting, which I love. I Man, I've lived in Washington. It's one of my favorite states. It takes place in Seattle, one of my favorite cities. It has a female lead. Two female leads, really. Right. It's funny. It has an interesting structure. It's not just a straightforward novel. It's in the form of an epistolary. I don't know. What'd you just call it's, me? <laughs> I don't know if everyone will know what that means, but it's an epistolary. Is uh, a,
1: uh, Laura, potty mouth. <laughs> Watch, all right, continue. It's,
0: it's a literary term. It means that it's a story that's written as a series of documents. So, oh. and I think maybe that informed my memory of it. Because after rereading it, I was actually really surprised at how much I, dare I say, hated this. (laughs) Ooh, strong
1: word. (laughs) We're getting juicy here.
0: Yeah. So this is going to be an episode full of hot takes, I think. Because I know from my research that this is actually a really well-loved novel, and maybe not a well-received movie, but there are a lot of fans of this story. Right. So I'm hoping no one will hate me too much, including your oh mom, because I know she likes the book.
1: You're gonna. Well, you <laughs> called her out. Yeah. You You've been known to have some hot takes, so. Yeah. You are in the hot seat tonight.
0: Right. I'm. I've come prepared. I have a lot of evidence that I. I. I'm hoping to bring some people onto my side. Because again, I think on the surface, there are a lot of interesting ideas, but my dislike for it kind of stems from how I just don't think that the author brought those ideas into fruition. That kind of comes with a disclaimer as well, because Maria Semple is actually a very accomplished writer and a very funny writer. She wrote on Arrested Development and Saturday Night Live. So this is not someone that I dislike. But after some research, and after watching a couple interviews, I was surprised at how much I disagreed with her perspective on some writing techniques gotcha so anyway that's my journey with the book and then as far as the movie I actually did not see it when it came out because I made a comment to Danny about how I was excited to see it and he was like oh Laura nah, don't spend your money on yeah, this one <laughs> not
1: a lot of people saw it so don't worry and yeah. the reviews were not kind <laughs> right?
0: well it's kind of funny it's it's a kind of a perk of dating Danny. He knows so much about the production of movies that sometimes if I mention, if I like name drop a title, he'll say, Oh, there's a really interesting story about the production. And I don't think it's going to be a good movie. So what I, you're saying
1: is I'm a big buzzkill. I get no, it. No, it's my good. journey. No, with
0: <laughs> Because I didn't end up spending any money to see this movie, which is good because uh-huh. I didn't like it. And that's the end. So now you can share your journey with the book of the movie if you
1: have one. Well, more so with the movie. I knew about the book that came out. When, when did right. it come out?
0: 2012.
1: Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was gaining some traction, gaining some popularity, but it didn't seem like my kind of book. But maybe something I'd, I'd read one day, but I wasn't going to pick it up. At least freshman year in college, Danny was it's, not going to. It's
0: definitely geared toward a a certain demographic, and I can see how you might not fit into that.
1: (laughs) Sure. But when I heard that Richard Linklater was adapting it. I'm like, okay, Mm. here's something interesting. Maybe, maybe I'll check this out. And for some background on Richard Linklater and kind of my relationship with his films, I really appreciate him as a filmmaker. I think School of Rock is one of my favorites. (laughs) But School of Rock is one of his most kind of mainstream and commercial films. What Linklater really specializes in is these what the term is called hangout movies wherein movies that usually take place over a day or a couple days and don't have a plot Mm -hmm. and a lot of times those are those are still great movies Mm -hmm. Uh, like Days of Confused what a what a Mm -hmm. blast starring a bunch of stars at the beginning of their career like Matthew Mm -hmm. McConaughey the all right all right all right (laughs) it all comes from that so Days of Confused great movie the before trilogy before sunrise before sunset before midnight that all that stars Ethan hawk julie delpy those don't have plots either they're just about kind of a day in in these couples lives you know they meet in the first one and then you know it it goes on from there and i've mentioned this before but i'm a big plot guy Mm -hmm. obviously i love it when there's character development in movies and i i think all movies should have that you know at least Mm -hmm. a character arc of some sort but i genuinely gravitate towards films with plots. So I appreciate a lot of Linklater's works. I just don't normally re watch them a lot. Like even boyhood. Like mm. what a what a cool experiment making mm. a film over twelve years. It it really you know, I saw it once and I'm like, wow, that's that's great. Mm. But Really have no desire to ever return to it. Whereas School of Rock, I mean, that has a a plot, a rather ridiculous one. But, you know, Jack Black is so amazing in that. And the the kids in that are so great. It's such a heartwarming story. I I think
0: I still quote that movie almost did. oh yeah
1: it's one of <laughs> i'll say this it's one of the most rewatchable movies of yeah. all time yeah for like without question you can pop it on at any time yeah. and it'll make you very happy so sometimes
0: my sorry to quick anecdote sometimes my brother and i answer the phone hello oh,
1: this is ned schneeble <laughs> <Yeah>. step <laughs> out yeah you can go <laughs> and then the legend of the rent was way faster yeah so don't you be talking about my boat okay this this podcast has turned into <laughs> the school of rock quoting uh, fest i gotta
0: watch that again
1: yeah I we should actually after we record yeah. let's do this so <laughs> when i heard link later was adapting this i'm like very interesting but since i always keep up with the trades i realized the tumultuous production or post-production of this movie, where it was mm-hmm. supposed to come out in November of 2018, mm-hmm. but then was pushed to spring of 2019, I forget the exact date, but then was pushed again for a third time mm-hmm. before finally coming out in August of 2019. Now if a movie is pushed, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's in trouble or it's a bad movie, mm-hmm. but if a movie gets pushed multiple times like that, it's usually a sign of the The production company or the producers are not happy with the edit, so they push the movie back so they can re-edit, or they push the movie back so they can do reshoots or whatever. And this movie, I know, did have reshoots. You you know, reshoots are not uncommon, right? But for a movie to be continuously pushed back, that speaks to something, trouble behind the scenes. And I can only talk about rumors, which is kind of very unprofessional of me to do so, but th- there, there was a chatter around this movie that it wasn't good, that, th- that the studio was not happy right, with it. Right. And there is publicized reshoots where they went back and kind of molded different characters a different way. And sure. what we're gonna talk about later, we think certain plot lines were switched or are yeah. cut entirely. So, yeah.
0: well it's it's just so interesting to hear this because I think the only way that they could have made this movie slightly likable is by changing the book a lot <laughs> because the book is really problematic. So it's interesting to me that they were having a hard time translating it to the screen because I think that there's so much that you have to overhaul to make it either marketable or artistic in a meaningful way, that I can understand why this might be tumultuous, to be honest. It kind of is a reflection of how difficult that transition might be.
1: Right, and the movie itself is so... it shifts in tone so much where you get tonal whiplash, where you don't know. You're like, it's really melodramatic in some spots, and then it gets really goofy, but then really serious. And maybe these this re-edit was trying to either, you know, get it to one way or the other, but they kind of, it kind of, they kind of ruin it in a sense because it's kind of this Frankenstein-like movie where you don't really know what it's going for and there's some, there's some clear stuff missing. There's like one element to this that's like, this isn't feeling right. Like, some scenes go on like for way too long and the editing is off. You're like, why are we lingering on this one? It's, it's really choppy is a good word.
0: Completely agree. And again, it's funny because when you go ahead with source material that isn't completely realized, in my opinion, when you have characters that do not have a consistent personality and not for, not for any purpose to further a theme, then it is almost logical that you would end up with a very disjointed movie that doesn't have a clear tone. And again, that can be good in some respects. It can be good to have characters who are unreliable narrators or inconsistent people, but if you don't have any meaning behind it, it gets frustrating and confusing
1: right yeah and (laughs) not in the compelling way like say fight club which i know you're not a fan (laughs) of but that's an instance where there's an unreliable narrator skewing your view and you come yeah and and that's an instance where the directing is so solid that that comes through you understand what's happening yes but with this It's like, this feels like it could be directed by anyone. Like, it doesn't have that classic Richard Linklater feel of it kind of being, like, relaxed. But still, the dialogue is still, like, really well written and kind of, like, heightened dialogue. Like, it's both... His movies are usually, like, these hangout movies, like I said. But the dialogue, as in, like... Quentin Tarantino dialogue, it, mm. it's not how people actually talk. Yes. But it's how people talk in movies. Yes.
0: Yes. And that's a really good observation that I also want to talk about with the writing of the novel. Oh, yeah. I agree let's, with that. Yes. Let's and, get into that. So yeah. I, I'm
1: interested about when you reread the novel, how your opinion, you know, switched 180 sure. degrees. So okay. go ahead.
0: Now that I've started to reread books frequently for the podcast, I'm trying to go in with this perspective of what are the major themes and what are the pieces of evidence that I can use to build my case. So it was difficult. And that's kind of, To me, that's kind of a signature of a poorly written piece. I want to talk about four themes that I'm kind of picking up on, but aren't necessarily fully realized in this book. So the first one that I kind of figured out was the challenges of parenthood. The second one I want to talk about is perhaps this is a coming of age story and disillusionment with your parents, Mm -hmm. right? That's the second one. Which
1: has not happened to me yet. My parents are perfect. (laughs)
0: Uh, Same.
1: Okay, continue.
0: (laughs) Number three is how to overcome failure in a healthy way. The fourth one is kind of a subplot, I want to say, maybe a sub theme, but the challenges of being in a marriage mm-hmm. or the challenges of being in a relationship over a long period of time in general. Sure. So, do you kind of pick up on those themes? As oh, well? yeah. Is there, any, is there all anything four else? Of them. That, yeah.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I definitely agree with all those themes that you mentioned, but. I think what the movie also brings up is dealing with your creative voice and how to re-spark that, you know, that creative part of you that can really kickstart you to do something, like anything. Sometimes Mm -hmm. you can get in these slumps in life and all it takes is like one creative idea, one goal to get you out of that. And I think yeah. for, for people who haven't read the book or know about the plot of the movie, basically, you know, we'll just say... Full spoilers. Yeah, obviously. no, full spoilers, but the story is about you know, this architect, Bernadette, mm-hmm. who hasn't been working in a while and has, has a family in uh, Seattle, has mm-hmm. moved to Seattle after this big falling out of a project in LA, and she's going through a bunch of stuff, and eventually she escapes, you know, quote-unquote, to Antarctica, where her daughter B was planning to take a trip to. I do really appreciate how the movie deals with these very complex themes of anxiety and depression. I think that's really, they're really important topics and it's really hard to talk about those things in a respectful way and I think this movie does that. However, when you're dealing with a character like Bernadette, it gets really annoying really Really fast (laughs) really abrasive and again yet another theme of the story is i think patience you kind of that ties into Mm -hmm. what you're saying about the hardships of being in a relationship like patience is a subset right with
0: your partner
1: right of that and it's like we as an audience should have patience for a character like bernadette because she's clearly going through some serious anxiety she clearly has these problems that maybe she hasn't delved fully into depression but there are some cries for help in there and yeah. this is kind of this movie is more about kind of dealing with those in a respectful way and not ambushing someone mm-hmm. with saying like you need to work on your problems it's yeah. more about giving patience to your partner right to to Bernadette but as I was saying Bernadette as a character is just so much and yeah. Kate Blanchett god bless her one of the best actresses working today her mm-hmm. performance is so this is a hot take because her performance that I know you share with me her performance is so overblown that it's like we're not even watching a real person
0: well you know what's funny so i want to talk about two things that you just said number one i was talking with my best friend Last night, and we were talking about documentary now, and it's so funny to me that she depicts an artist in the third season of that, right? Who has almost the same storyline where she's this avant-garde, incredible, strong female yeah. creator force,
1: <laughs> tortured creative tortured mind, creative mind, right? Yeah.
0: And then in the end, all of that is threatened to be taken away from her, but she explodes out of that experience into this new thing, and and it. This movie, to me, didn't live up to that in any, any way. Well,
1: it's I, like a documentary now episode, but that's, you know, not supposed to be a parody. It's yeah. like taken seriously and you're yeah. like, oh, this isn't, <laughs> that's yeah. not that great. Yeah. So
0: anyway, I just wanted to juxtapose those performances of hers because it on the surface, the character is very similar obviously documentary now is a little bit more over the top mm-hmm. but i think
1: it felt like a, a stage play like like how you act on a stage right. you
0: acting for the people in the back
1: exactly <laughs> yeah
0: i completely yeah yeah so. Yeah, So And then I wanted to just quickly tie in what you're talking about uh, with the creative spark being stifled and the mental challenges that she ends up facing. I sort of come at those as consequences of some of my themes, like the consequences of... Being challenged as a parent and maybe a consequence of being in a relationship for a really long time and having drifted apart slightly and misunderstanding how to best meet your partner where they are sort of grows out of that challenge. So that's, yeah, that's, I I totally agree with those observations and I I just sort of use them in a different way to say why I don't think that (laughs) those things are quite accomplished with this piece. So do you want me to just dive into some of my issues? With
1: the book. The book. Yeah, go ahead.
0: I guess just to tie this conversation up too about the themes, it's funny that we have so many because I think that's another thing that this book and movie suffer from. There's just constantly stuff going on and it's hard to really focus and hone in on what we should care about.
1: Right. There's so much going on and yet the biggest twist of the movie is that Bernadette doesn't go anywhere into the third act. Yeah.
0: Oh my god you feel the length of this movie so
1: much. Yeah it's not even two hours but man it, it, it feels long and yeah. again as we're saying there's so many themes and there are great themes to expand upon but when sure. when there's no plot guiding them until the last 30 minutes it's kind of just like a drag to sit through
0: yeah all right i'll i'm going to dive into my themes go ahead so theme number 1 the challenges of parenthood first off we find out very quickly that bernadette's daughter b is very precocious. The introduction is from B's perspective. We find out that she's writing this story. And one of the opening scenes is a conversation with her parents in the kitchen. And she's talking about how she was promised that if she got straight A's through elementary school to middle school, then her parents would give her whatever she wanted.
1: And this is all the book, right? right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right.
0: So a clearly set up character in B. So I think that can be kind of a struggle, right? The, the challenges of a parent having a child be super precocious yep. <laughs> and, you know, trying to meet that child where they are and trying to challenge them, but also, you know, you need your own life and you have your own challenges as well. So mm-hmm. that's kind of set up as a struggle. So another one is that we learn throughout the book that Bernadette had four miscarriages. Before B, and that can obviously be traumatic for not only the mother but also the partner. Mm-hmm. So we learn that that's kind of a challenge that she's had through parenthood, and that caused her to have postpartum depression, and it also kind of caused her to become overprotective with B. And I think, in a way, B and Bernadette's relationship is actually one of the highlights of the story. They they do seem to be emotionally connected,
1: and you do feel that in the movie. I think. That's yeah. what Linklater really specializes in is these, these really real and authentic relationships between people, whether it be friends or mm-hmm. like romantic or, or family mm-hmm. too. And in the movie, I think Kate Blanchett and the actress who plays B Emma Nelson, which was fun fact, yeah. this was her first film. Mm-hmm. I think she does great. You, you do feel a mother-daughter bond that feels really authentic in this movie. So that's yeah. something that you know, the movie does well.
0: Right, I agree. The scene of Bernadette and be in the car singing is a really great moment for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all of this anxiety over being a successful parent to be seems to have triggered Bernadette's flight response, right? All this stuff is kind of building up and I find that really relatable. I can personally relate to anxiety causing burnout and those feelings of isolation and feeling like you want to just get out of a situation and maybe not removing yourself in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And I think in the movie too, it's kind of hinted at that it's caused the medical. Medication crutch for Bernadette. Mm -hmm. Like she's taken you know, antidepressants and stuff like that. So again, relatable ideas. However, these are my issues with that theme. And please jump in because I know I'm going to be talking a lot. If you have a character who's struggling with stuff like this, you would hope that by the end of the movie, we see growth. You would hope to see maybe some other people recognizing that those are unhealthy ways of dealing with these challenges or people become disillusioned with that character because they decide not to grow. You know, there has to be some kind of comment about why that's unhealthy. Otherwise, it sort of sets you up to think, what are we supposed to get out of this character? It becomes kind of confusing, right?
1: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And to comment on that, at least for the movie point, I thought... The movie was headed that way. It's set up with, with once Bernadette finally leaves, right, to Antarctica after being confronted with They're that bush, intervention. Right? Elgin, her husband, has a great scene with the daughter, B of saying you think that he's get, you know going to react one way. But then what he ends up saying is that we need to let Bernadette go on her little adventure and she will rejoin the family when she's ready and when i watch that i'm like wow that's actually a really unique and lovely relationship between a husband and wife who Mm. it's established that they've kind of grown apart but they still respect and know each other well enough to have this kind of mutual agreement where like she can leave and he knows that she'll come back Mm-hmm. And, and he also knows that, that this escape is necessary for her yeah. to kind of refresh. But I thought once they finally go get her, I thought the resolution Bernadette was going to kind of comment on her leaving like that. Mm-hmm. And there is going to be not necessarily a big happy schmaltzy ending, but one where Bernadette has changed. Right. But in the movie, they again, which when the plot finally starts happening in the last 30 minutes, like they go to Antarctica, and we already know where she is. So we're always 10 steps ahead of the characters at all times, which isn't necessarily exciting to watch. Yeah. It's not exciting to watch them be detectives and track her down when we know literally every step of the way where Bernadette has gone. And yeah. and perhaps some of that, of my perception, was skewed by the trailer, which played on the whole mystery of the where'd you go, Bernadette. And it's like, no, the movie's not, it's not about that at all. Like, it's a, it's not about where she goes. Like, th- there's no mystery at all, and that's the point, but.
0: Right. <laughs> or at least change the title of the movie a little bit right (laughs) because it is a little bit more of a mystery in the book it's kind of suspected that maybe bernadette has even died because she might have fallen off a ship there's a little bit of
1: and right and there's that scene in the movie where the where bernadette goes to the station in antarctica the you know research station and then the captain of the boat said look she she's missing and how compelling and would it be to not know where Bernadette is and sure. to have her family figure out like, is she dead?
0: Right. Well, in the book, it causes B to have a real breakdown right? because she doesn't want to believe that her mother has died either accidentally or perhaps it's hinted too that she might've been engaging in risky behavior because she might've wanted to commit suicide. So she might've intentionally gotten drunk and taken some pills and gone out on the deck of the ship because she wanted to commit suicide. And that is really sad and the conversation between Elgin and B is really jarring and it's sad to watch a 15 year old come to terms with the fact that her mother you know she says something like mom and I were best friends she wouldn't do that to me and Mm -hmm. Elgin says you know what I see is I see a really sad woman who was drinking and may have had an accident but she was sad and you don't know your mom as well as you think you do like that is a really heavy theme but yeah in the movie we already know that Bernadette isn't dead we know where she is It's, it's not even really a bait and switch because you kind of know.
1: Right and then to go back to what I was originally saying about the end is that they find her and then everything is all hunky-dory and the movie just ends and it's like yeah it's like wait a second you the you yourself movie brought up these very (laughs) complex themes about anxiety and depression and to say that everything is fine when they meet her is not, is like the opposite of responsible, this is irresponsible. This my biggest
0: issue with the book and the movie. I completely agree because going back to how the challenges of parenthood can push you to a point, especially when you struggle with anxiety and depression, I might struggle with those things when I become a parent. Right. But then to sort of get slapped in the face with, oh, you know what, you can act however you want. And it doesn't really matter. Because eventually your family is going to say that they love you. And they're going to let you do whatever you want. And then you're not going to go to therapy. And you're not going to make the decision to stop self medicating. And everything's just going to be fine. That's really kind of disrespectful to someone who has struggled with those issues those things you have to make a I'm not even going to say daily I'm going to say a moment to moment decision to try to use the tools that you've been given to overcome those things and again just to have this big bow on the end of this movie it's like we didn't see her change we didn't see her try right or struggle, yeah there there is no change empty. it's a
1: it's a cycle in fact Right. Even even though she started a project at the end, it's there's kind of, in the back of my mind, I'm like, gosh, what if she does this again? What if right. she abandons well, her family again? Right. And as, as much as I enjoyed the kind of twist that Elgin respects his wife enough and knows her enough to let her escape, I was waiting for the scene with the daughter and Bernadette, and I was waiting for the daughter to say, you know, like, I... I love how your creative spark has been ignited, but you leaving like that did hurt me yeah, in some way. Even exactly. if even if it was necessary for you, and I respect that it was necessary for you, just you leaving just that act is still... somewhat hurts. I was waiting for that real conversation to happen and it just didn't. I think Linklater put the pedal to the metal in terms of the cheese and just spread it all over. And I'm just like, that's the last thing this movie needs.
0: Well, and I want to go a little bit further and call Bernadette very selfish because you're exactly right when you say that she left and that's what she needed. But in a lot of ways, you can't do that as a parent. That's one of the things that I think can be really anxiety-inducing. You can't just take a step away sometimes. Yeah. And you're entirely right with the point that she never apologizes to be except, and this is where I really want to show how this movie and book fail to address the challenges of being a parent, when Bernadette is pleading with her family. In the book, it's a 16-page letter to her daughter. Mm. In the movie, it's a phone message. But in a 16-page letter, which again goes back to how Bernadette hasn't changed at all. She's still rambling and doesn't really have a point behind a lot of her exclamations. Mm -hmm. She's saying, you know what? Let me just do this one more thing. Let me just be a bad mom for five more weeks. And then... I'll come back and then we'll move away from the house that's falling apart around us. And then I'll start creating again. And then I'll be able to be a better mom. All of that to me, what that says is she's an addict who's asking for one more bump. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's just an excuse to continue the cycle of being selfish rather than a moment of growth. And it's interesting because I read an interview with Maria Semple and she was talking about how uninterested she was in likable protagonists. Mm -hmm. in her novels. And she talked about how that's really uninteresting to her. And I I agree, I think it's really interesting to have unlikable protagonists. But when you try so hard to make them unlikable, they kind of end up empty, right? There's nothing to learn from that character. And so you kind of end the novel just feeling like you wasted your time. And not only I guess I'm going to push it a little further. And this is going to bleed into my next point that I think she fails at with this book, not only is she unlikable, I would argue that she's actively racist and elitist, which kind of pulls in my second theme about how you could argue that this book was trying to be a coming of age story with B, and trying to be the disillusionment story about how young people finally realize that their parents are not perfect. And the behavior that Bernadette exhibits toward other people bleeds into how Bee acts And it's so saddening to see B reflect the nastier sides of Bernadette and never understand that those are unacceptable behaviors.
1: And there are, I mean, I haven't read the book, but I mean, that's actually a really, I think, something really important to write about, like how your your kids can pick up on, on the more toxic parts of a parent's personality. But, you know, like you're saying, to not have a character change at all right. is not necessarily bad storytelling, but it's just not fun to to no. read or watch that. I mean, yeah. in the movie, she be, as you've told me, significantly less of a brat and is right. actually a great... Yeah. Uh, I, I think she's a strong character in the movie. Yeah. I
0: agree. Yeah. I totally agree. I think that goes back to our original conversation about how I think they really had to do a lot of work with these characters to make them someone that you wouldn't want to slap right across the face. And I made some serious accusations about how Bernadette is very elitist and very racist. Racist,
1: yeah, I'm curious. And
0: so I'm going to give you some examples of how B reflects those behaviors because she idolizes her mother, but she ends up reflecting these really, really, really nasty parts of her. So let's visualize the part where Audrey comes out and accuses Bernadette of Purposefully removing the blackberry bushes Bush. yeah. so that the mud flows into her backyard. Okay, so in the movie, B gets out of the car and says "fuck you" to Audrey. Mm-hmm. That's pretty serious, and like from from a parenting perspective. To have your kid tell another mom, fuck you. I mean, obviously, maybe it wasn't appropriate for Audrey to approach Bernadette in that way, but that's pretty serious. Now, in the novel, let me just read this to you. I pushed mom off me and slapped Audrey across her wet face. She physically assaults (laughs) an adult female woman. That is beyond any kind of behavior that's okay. And do you know Bernadette's reaction? to that?
1: Does she laugh or what is she?
0: Mom got in and shut the door. You're super cool, she said. You know that? I'm just gonna let that sink in. That is beyond any kind of parenting that I've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) that's just, I can't imagine my 15 year old daughter slapping another mom's face and just being like, That was incredible. Can you, can you let, I mean, it's just, I'm laughing because I'm so uncomfortable with that kind of behavior. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, what about, you mentioned uh, something else about Bernadette being uh, racist.
0: Okay, sure. So there are a lot of situations where Bernadette talks to her virtual assistant manjula
1: Manjula, which in the movie it's so obvious that manjula is not real because (sighs) the rule of thumb in movies is that if you talk about a character often but you don't ever see that character something's up with that character something's up and it's pretty clear that since we never see manjula throughout that it's like is she a real person but i
0: will say that It's interesting that the movie made her sort of an Alexa figure so that you could see Bernadette talking out loud. In the book, it's just Bernadette writing emails. So I kind of thought that was a cool modernization of that idea. But anyway, Bernadette comes to Manjula with a white privilege perspective. And there are a couple times where she says things like, you bet you're Bindi, because she's supposed to be an Indian woman. Mm -hmm. And that's very presumptuous. and racist and stereotyping. She also, you know, it's one of those things where she doesn't know Manjula, she's never met her, but she's assuming that since she's paying her to do all of this business stuff, she can just rant. Bernadette is very demanding and rude in her her requests. And it's just, it's really difficult to read those because it just uncovers how rich, people expect other people to do things just because they can pay them they have the money to just make other people do them and there are a couple other examples of Bernadette talking about how much she hates Canadians because they're too nice it's it's just it's problematic and so now I'm going to read another part where we see how B has picked these things up so they start traveling south from Seattle to LAX to Chile to Argentina and then on to a boat that then sails to Antarctica so this is a scene where the Elgin and B are in an airport. Sometimes I'd catch the tourists' glances, probably because I was the youngest, and they'd smile all friendly. One of them stared so long, I couldn't resist. I just had to say it. "Take a picture, it lasts longer." She says that out loud to a tourist. <laughs> <laughs> all right, as we go on so this is the next page, it was time to board the bus. I waited until Dad found a seat, then sat somewhere else. The highway into the city center ran along a river, which had trash scattered on its bank. Soda cans, water bottles, tons of plastic, and food scraps just dumped. Kids were kicking a ball among the trash, running with mangy dogs among the trash, even squatting to wash their clothes among the trash. It was totally annoying. Like, would one of you just pick up the trash? That happens in Argentina. She is so... It's... How could you even write something like that? As an author, how could you write something like that and then not have a character change in the end of the book?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: B doesn't learn anything. She doesn't learn that those are awful things to say to people who are experiencing poverty.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: It's just, it's mind-blowing. And then listen to this. This is the next paragraph after would one of you just pick up the trash. We entered a tunnel. The guide standing in front of the bus got on the PA system and started rhapsodizing about When the tunnel was built, who won the contract to build it, how long it took, which president approved it, how many cars go through it every day, etc. I kept waiting for him to reveal its greatness. Like, maybe it was self-cleaning or made of recycled water bottles. Nope, it was just a tunnel. Like, this kid is (laughs) so exactly like what her mother exhibits. She's racist and she's elitist. And she's uninterested in anything that doesn't have to do with her. And that shows how Bernadette's selfishness as a parent... Has informed B's nasty behavior. And I think it's just disgusting that neither of them show any remorse by the end of the novel. It's just.
1: Right. And as we have said a couple times, it's completely okay to write about elitist and racist characters, right. but when they're your main characters and when they don't show any change, it's like, yeah. oh, what am I to get? Out right. Of that? And
0: we've talked about A, the tone deafness, and B, the tone shifting that doesn't work for these characters because these are nasty things to say. But by the end, we're supposed to believe that everything's going to be okay, but there's been no challenge to those mindsets. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't make sense. Suddenly we're supposed to love these characters by the end because Bernadette has figured out that she's just not creating enough as an artist. Like what? Mm -hmm. How is that? How is that the solution? Right. I just again it just yeah it's beyond me uh yeah
1: beyond meat i had an impossible burger the other oh, day it's that better than really the beyond meat i actually really like impossible burgers impossible burgers please sponsor us yeah. i'm interested in some of the changes between the novel and the book and i have i heard about this i wanted you to confirm this for me okay so in the book it doesn't reveal in the opening like they do in the movie where bernadette goes to antarctica right
0: no in fact, there's actually a whole segment where Elgin goes to Argentina to look for Bernadette with Sue Lin. There's a whole Okay,
1: Sue Lin. Let's talk about this character. It's so weird, and this was the thing that I think happened in re-editing. So, they introduced Sue Lin, and she's watching a video of Elgin just completely love-struck.
0: His head...
1: Yeah, his TED yeah. Talk, and she seems to kind of be obsessed with him, and right. there's an applied affair between them, but then it's never explored. Does yeah. that happen in the book?
0: It does, and this is one of the things that gets you totally...
1: Knew it. <laughs> yeah. I knew it. See, that's, that's yeah. why this movie is so weird.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. So Elgin has an affair with Sue Lin, and not only do they sleep together once, they have a fucking... Love child. What? Yeah, it's it's the dumbest thing. And it. Elgin,
1: you're you're, like, you're you're a super <laughs> genius at Microsoft, and you can't wear a rubber. I mean, jeez, <laughs> Louise.
0: No, it's the <laughs> dumbest.
1: That's crazy. The
0: dumbest. No, it's literally the dumbest thing. It's mentioned like twice, and then remember what we said about how everything's just supposed to ha- be fine in the end. B is kind of like, oh, so I'm gonna share a sibling with Lincoln. Now, because Lincoln is Sulan's kid, and he's just like, "Yep," oh. and the, and then like that's the only, like that's it. That's they literally do not discuss it. And Bernadette's it at all.
1: fine with that.
0: I like, I think she might mention it once, but it's like, Bernadette, you just escaped your family and turned your back on them for like a month, and suddenly there's a love child in your life, and you're just like. Cool. We'll just co-parent.
1: How yeah, Elgin becomes does that because
0: sense?
1: Elgin in the movie is super likable, and I think that's yes. a testament to Billy Crudup's performance. Billy Crudup, an immensely underrated actor. I think I he's he's I think great. He did a
0: great job. And I think this is another example of how they had to change characters to right. make them likable and to make their make them make sense.
1: Well, here's my theory: is that they did film that was with sue Lin okay. in the movie the affair okay. because as we were saying there are signs yeah. in, of an implied romance between them right. but what i think happened when they kept on pushing the movie they were re-editing it and again i, I have no evidence i cannot prove this i'm talking off of rumors which is, again not responsible of me to do so but my theory my big conspiracy theory is that they filmed that Of Elgin having an affair with Sue Lin, and it it just didn't work. And one of the notes was that like we need to make Elgin more likable, so they cut out as much as they could of Sue Lin's storyline to make Elgin just this likable character, but. They didn't cut out enough, or they didn't reshoot enough. So there's just this weird performance from Sue Lin. So she's in love with him. She keeps on popping up with him everywhere. At
0: inappropriate times. Right. Like, there, there's that one specific time where the FBI agent comes to Elgin the first time with the information that this Russian mafia has stolen all of their personal information. Which a great
1: twist but it comes at a point in a movie where Bernadette's going through some serious stuff. Yeah. And it's like is am I supposed to laugh or what?
0: And it's it's funny there's this line that B says it's in the book I can't remember if it's in the movie but she says something like here's the thing mom's not great with little annoyances, but she's amazing in a crisis, Mm -hmm. which is, it's the exact opposite with this whole plot because she's confronted with the intervention about her suicidal behavior and and all these things that Elgin is rightfully concerned about with her mental health, Mm -hmm. but also this plot about how the Russian mafia is coming to her and she, what, runs away. Is that dealing with a crisis in in, in a great way?
1: right no, and then in the very in the very next scene the fbi agent to elgin is just like well we got the guy and i'm just like oh so
0: so that wasn't important
1: that that was pretty fast that <laughs> yeah. that problem resolved itself
0: and that's another scene where sue Lin inappropriately pops up she's at an intervention which is a very personal heavy thing to kick off with someone who you care about emotionally. I don't know if we completely introduced it, but she's basically Elgin's, they call her the administrator, but basically his receptionist. Yeah. And so she's not really a personal assistant. Why is she in the room for legal information from the FBI, as well as an intervention that Elgin planned for his wife, who's struggling with mental health issues? Right. Why is she there?
1: The scene that I kept on expecting that was going to, you know, kick off Bernadette for leaving was her finding out about the affair.
0: In the scene where she leaves the house during the intervention, she makes this offhanded comment to Audrey, like, "Oh, and Sue Lynn was there, who's."
1: Soon, El- to be... soon to
0: be Elgin's mistress or something yeah. and I do see how I think they did set up that relationship and then they just said either we don't have time or this makes Elgin not likable enough like right. we need to cut that out cuz it yeah, yeah. for
1: doesn't. for yeah that's my theory for whatever reason I they agree. cut it out and you can feel it e- in the movie
0: Exactly yeah it's they're very uncomfortable scenes and scenes that don't really make sense if that isn't in there yeah.
1: Right and Something else that kind of reinforces how the reshoots were tumultuous was this movie has a budget of $18 million, which is actually more than I thought. Linklater Mm -hmm. is known for his kind of micro-budget movies. Even with big names, he's able to keep the budget down because he usually just shoots at a couple locations. Not a lot of stuff happens. Quote-unquote happens. So his movies are usually cheap. But they spent a lot of money on the reshoots. And I think a lot of those reshoots went into Mm. the ending with Antarctica because there's a ton of green screen in there. And what I think is... They didn't go to Antarctica. They they filmed scenes on location to make it look like Antarctica. When we were watching this, you said, hmm, I bet they shot in, like, Greenland or something. I bet they didn't actually go to Antarctica. And, Did they re- baby, guess this.
0: Did they really go to Greenland? Yep,
1: I con- no confirmed. No
0: way. Yeah, this... No way. That is crazy. I That's guess crazy I'm starting to think like a producer because I'm right. with you.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're like it, it, you're like it would cost too much money. It'd be too cold to get out of Antarctica, but Greenland is a perfect substitute. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. No so way. for all the scenes filmed in Antarctica, they filmed in Greenland, and then the movie is set mostly in Seattle, but the filming took place in Pittsburgh and Vancouver. Oh, that makes sense. Vancouver makes sense. Yeah, Vancouver makes sense. Pittsburgh, that's not a a film of any time, but I mean... interesting.
0: I wonder, because there are a lot of very important set pieces, so I wonder if there was just a spot in Pittsburgh that, like, you know, fit the bill for one of those.
1: Right. I was getting back to the point of the reshoots. So there are these sweeping shots of Greenland, which looks like Antarctica, which are beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. But then juxtapose that with some terrible green screen. It's footage. I'm,
0: even I could. Right. See that that was bad.
1: And my... So my job, for those of you who don't know, I'm a stage manager at a green screen facility. And it's also a motion capture stage. You know, a a fully functional filming (laughs) venue, right? Mm. But you don't have to be a stage manager at a green screen stage to spot bad green screen usage. So you notice a sign of a rushed green screen key job if it's fuzzy around the head. And there is... A pivotal moment where B has a conversation with her dad Elgin right before they find Bernadette and it's like it's a really a big bonding moment and you can see the green like uh, light reflected in their hair which means the key to a great green screen effect is to light it properly usually you need a lot Mm -hmm. of light but that light needs to be even light so there can't be shadows right Mm -hmm. other on you or on the green screen itself but I think it was really lit incorrectly where there's a green bounce on them. So yeah. the green screen that they're filming behind, kind of that light that was bouncing off of it, went in their hair. Their hair looks green. The edges are yeah. wrong. You can clearly see that they're not in. Yeah, and in, like penguins anti- in the
0: background that you can tell like aren't three-dimensional. And they're
1: sitting on rocks that are clearly just foam. That's, that, Yeah, be, yeah it's
0: a shitty reissue. Right, but yeah. then the very it next right scene, the
1: very next scene is this breathtaking shot of, of Greenland when yeah, they're kayaking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's really weird. But another cool thing, fun fact about this, so this movie ends. Bernadette decides to start building her research station mm-hmm. in Antarctica, and then we cut to, over credits, a real, You see a real-life station being built and this is something that's really cool yeah. It was a real-life station being built and the fun fact I like was
0: like in real life
1: Yeah, the fun fact that I was getting to what? was it was the Haley 6 British Antarctica research station that just happened to be in construction when this movie was being made That so, is so
0: cool. So they really have buildings on those skis that they moved? Yeah. So that was What? That, I'm going to have to go read about this. It was a
1: crazy happenstance that this movie was being shot while a real life station was being built and the that movie ends with crazy. a station being built. So I'm
0: going to go look that up after this podcast. So
1: yeah, that's, that's kind of a cool thing. A, a big pro, a big positive of this movie is that the credits are really neat <laughs> and it is Just
0: go watch the credits on YouTube yeah, uh, and honestly, you're not missing anything.
1: Honestly, the construction <laughs> alone is you can make a short film or a documentary on that.
0: I hope there is one and yeah. I'm gonna go Google it.
1: Right so now. so that's really <laughs> neat. But yeah, I mean the movie itself, as we said we weren't big fans, but it's just for me it's just shockingly bland for a link later film. It's a good story in the sense that it's dealing with these these complex issues and the acting from most everyone involved is good except for as we mentioned Kate Blanchett. Yeah. She's a little too overblown. It's, it's funny that she won an Oscar for playing Catherine Hepburn in The Aviator because her <laughs> accent in this when she goes on these long monologues she, yeah, it, it, yeah, it sounds like she's emulating Catherine Hepburn again. She has that transatlantic accent where she keeps on. It's yeah. like, yikes, this is really grating. But again, I want to reiterate Kate Blanchett normally knocks it out of the park. Her yeah. performance in Blue Jasmine, a very similar character to Bernadette, is that's one of the best performances of all time, in my opinion.
0: I'll have to I, don't, I haven't
1: watched Right, that. yeah. But it's too melodramatic at times, but at other times it's supposed to be funny, and I think a more unconventional approach would have worked better, like a non-linear structure. Maybe you don't reveal where Bernadette has gone, but- In the first shot. (laughs) In the first shot, but you reveal that she has escaped, and then you go back in time, and then you, you know, work backwards and go up to that moment when she finally does escape, Mm -hmm. and then from there you don't tell the audience where she- goes and you have this father daughter story of them finding the mom. Yeah. I just think a more unconventional like there's just nothing special to this movie. The the lighting is is kinda bland, the score is a little bit cheesy and not really memorable at all. There's yeah. just it, it's not a it's not a bad film, but it's certainly not good. It's right yeah. it encapsulates the word meh.
0: Well, and the interesting thing too is I can see the choices that they had to make to create characters that you weren't just going to walk out on. Mm -hmm. And I do appreciate things like I'm not going to go. We don't have enough time for me to go into one of the other themes that I mentioned. But the relationship between Elgin and Bernadette is fairly interesting in the movie. In the book, it's more of Elgin wants to force these things. He can see that there's something wrong with Bernadette, but he kind of doesn't want it to be his problem anymore. That's kind of the tone that I get from the book. In the movie, I think they changed it to a nicer way of explaining that they've grown apart. Bernadette has obviously really bonded with B, and that hasn't necessarily happened with Elgin. And so in the movie, I think it's more suggested that he just doesn't know how to approach Bernadette anymore. And it's also clear when he has that monologue with B in Antarctica about how he now sees that Bernadette just hasn't been creating enough. And she hasn't been able to throw herself into a project. And I think that's just a challenge of being in a relationship for a long time and having those things draw you apart. And maybe you can't quite see where you're supposed to meet your partner anymore. And he comes from a more caring place, I think in the movie, I think that was an important change. And the other thing, sort of the last thing that I wanted to talk about is how they change Bernadette's character in the movie to make her likable. (laughs) Something that, again, I like about the movie is that they show that they're living in a house that's kind of falling apart but you also get these really great glimpses of what Bernadette has done to the house to restore it. You see that she's used pencils around the door.
1: Oh yeah, that was neat. Yeah, Yeah.
0: she's used these pencils to create this geometric triangle sort of thing going on around the door frames, which is really cool. She has, have you seen those pictures online where those knitting parties go out and like knit around a tree trunk or knit around a bicycle. Mm, Have you seen those? Right, them? yeah. And she's done that between two stories of the house and that's really cool. She has these projects that she's been working on, but I think it kind of goes to build her character a little bit that she's just emotionally exhausted, and she can't fully finish that house project. In the book, she's not working on the house at all. And this is something else that I found really shocking about the book that makes her a really dislikable character. So we've talked about her challenges with her mental health. And it's really jarring to hear her have a very flippant attitude towards suicide. That was actually really disturbing to me. Again, I'm gonna talk about how this behavior has rubbed off on B, and how B has learned to self-medicate dangerously from her mom. So I'm gonna read two parts. Page 61, this is Bernadette. But the problem with the Xanax and the hundreds of other pills I had squirreled away was this. They were currently jumbled together in a Ziploc bag. Why? Well, once I was thinking about ODing, so I dumped the contents of every prescription bottle into my two hands. They didn't even fit, that's how many I had. Just eyeball to see if I could swallow them all, but then I cooled off on the whole idea and dumped the pills in a baggie where they languished to this day. Why did I want to OD? You're probably wondering. Well, so am I. I don't even remember.
1: <laughs> Thanks.
0: <laughs> and then I want to highlight something that's really disturbing in bees behavior. So this is when they finally get to Antarctica, and you know a huge change from the book to the movie is that Bea is such a brat. Her father takes her on this $20,000 trip and she stays on the boat. She just decides, you know what? I'm here to make my dad miserable. I'm gonna stay here and I'm not gonna do anything. In the movie, at least she goes out and explores and has a good time and understands that this is a gift (laughs) that she's being given. But anyway, here's what I wanna show you. So this is Bee talking. I ran into our room and swallowed two more white pills, not because I was seasick, but because I knew they would knock me out and I just slept. I woke up once and I wasn't tired anymore. I looked out the window. I took two more pills and fell back asleep.
1: Eesh. that is healthy
0: she's 15 years old right i'm sorry i know that we probably have to wrap up because we're going a little bit long but instead of come at this episode with a lot of ranting i really wanted to defend why i'm so turned off
1: mm, yeah no i think you definitely definitely proved it and to go on okay. that last point about <laughs> elitism a story that I always think about occasionally that my mom really uh, taught me about, you know, how not to, not to act elitist was there was this trip to Cooperstown in seventh grade that was optional for everyone because it cost a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. There was a bus, you know, a big, nice Peter Pan bus that was taking us there with, you know, movies and stuff like that. And then when we got there, we would all have this big meal that was, you know, included in the, Mm -hmm. in the the package and then we had this extensive tour of the baseball hall of fame oh, in Cooperstown cool. yeah. and then and that we'd be driven back all in one day and I think honestly I remember it being like something like ninety or a hundred dollars. Like something insane for a school trip, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. again, that's why it was optional, but I I decided to go because my friends were going and Mm -hmm. even though you know I played lacrosse and if you know anything about lacrosse is that they hate baseball or at least I mean I like watching the Red Sox but like I don't like you know (laughs) learning about baseball but Mm -hmm. I only decided to go because my friends were going and after the this long day I come home and my mom asks me about the trip Mm -hmm. and like how was it I go "Eh, I don't really 't i don't really like baseball and she goes <laughs> hmm why did I pay ninety dollars it might have been a hundred dude why did I pay a hundred dollars for you to go on a trip that you didn't want to go on and I didn't have an answer for her and wow. I think about that to this day i sorry to go off on this you know tangent of a story but that's something that I learned for, you know a lesson I learned from my parents don't act this way so well, when if- you told me about that I just I I had this kind of like jerk response of you know learning about that. Well,
0: if you don't mind me sharing a story as well, something that this book made me reflect on. So I have a very visceral memory of the first time I think I was old enough to know not to talk back to my mom, and at least in front of other people. (laughs) I mean, I shouldn't have been doing it in private either, but I was in a school play and. I was getting my hair and makeup done by some of the moms who had volunteered, and my mom came to drop something off, like probably lunch or a costume piece or something like that. And I don't remember what I said, but because I was around a lot of other moms, when I said something rude, my mom sort of pulled me aside. She, she said, all right, <laughs> you're going to go over to Mom, let's call her Olivia. Tramantha and other mom, Tramantha. <laughs> yeah. And you're gonna apologize for the way that you acted in front of them toward me. And these were two moms that I adored, and I was so embarrassed. I just remember the feeling of like blushing and wanting to cry. But my mom said you have to take responsibility for the way that you act in public, and that was rude. And so to put myself in the position of B slapping another mother and then getting into the car and my mom saying, that was so cool. Good for you. That that just, that just made me want to like die of embarrassment Mm -hmm. again. It it just, it's just so different than my experience.
1: Right. Same with (laughs) mine. Look at us. We're just such well-behaved, upstanding. Well
0: now, but we had to be taught that and that's the point.
1: (laughs) No, I'm saying in the past, look how great we're now. Well,
0: but, but that's what, I think both of us are trying to say is it's just discouraging to watch this kind of behavior come from not only children, but from adults who have never had to come to a reckoning with how your behavior has consequences and it affects other people. And if you don't put a stop to that when you're young, or at least some point in your life, then you're going to end up being a very unlikable person.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I I don't know. I'm done discussing it. I'm so sick of it. It, Don't read this book. Don't waste your time on this movie.
1: Well, see, my rating, one and a half stars seems too harsh, right? There's nothing really Ah. offensively bad about the movie. Two stars seems too high, but... One and a half stars seems too harsh. I'm at a, I'm at a bit of a crossroads. You know, I'll just I'll just go 2 stars. It's not, you know, it's very meh. So, 2 for me. Uh, I'm
0: I'm out. I'm full on don't watch the movie, don't read the book. Save yourself a few dollars and just read something that has a more developed idea of a tough relationship like An American Marriage by Tayari e. Jones.
1: <laughs> That's cool.
0: Just don't read this book. Okay. Do yourself a favor. Don't read it. I'm done. So
1: wait a <laughs> second. You didn't like the book. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week, and we're so glad you're listening. Find me on Letterbox where I write my reviews. Danny G Reviews is my handle. Follow us on Instagram. Film is lit podcast.
0: Like our Facebook page. Yeah. Film is lit podcast. And like and subscribe us on iTunes.
1: Yeah, leave a nice review. And follow me on Twitter. If you want.
0: At Laura C. And we
1: want feedback, too. We want to get better. All right.
0: (laughs) That's it. (laughs) We'll
1: see you on the next one.